0: glad you're here today. Daniel chapter 7 verses 9 through 14. If you would stand for reading of the Word of God. Judge by the Ancient of Days. Oh, we get a picture of the throne of heaven. I watched till the thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming in with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Now, if you have been with us through this whole series, you know by now that the theme of Daniel is God is sovereign over nations, God is sovereign over rulers. And God is sovereign over you, over your life. Daniel chapter 7, just want to remind you that there's four visions in this chapter. And we're in visions number three and number four this week. Remember that the statue that we saw were of four kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. These are Gentile kingdoms that came into power. And guess what? They came into power in sequence, just like the statue depicted. God is sovereign, God is controlling, and God is ruling. When Babylon was in control, when Babylon was at its zenith of height, Persia wasn't even thought of as being a ruler. Yet they came second. Greece was just a bunch of tribes fighting with one another. And then Rome was a little town by the Tiber River. And yet each one of these came to power on schedule just as the Bible said it would. We know that Bible prophecy is true, and we know that 28% of the Bible is prophecy, and God expects his people to study and to know and have an idea of what's coming. And remember we said last week that so many places dumb down Bible prophecy and say it's not that important, it's too difficult to understand. Oh no, God expects us to have an understanding of what to expect and not be fooled by what's happening in the world around us. The fourth Gentile kingdom is where we are today, and that's Rome. In chapter 7 last week, we saw that, chapter 7, verse 7, we saw this, that Rome was dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, devouring and breaking into pieces. We know that there's God's view and man's view of these kingdoms. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, ten nations, ten toes, these are the Gentile empires. East and West division is what we live in today. And if you know that there is an East block of nations and a West block of nations today, we happen to be in the Western block. The Eastern block are mostly communists and that sort of thing, or, or, or Islam. God, this is how man views it. Muscular, handsome, in control. God's view that they're monsters, they're beasts, a lion, a bear, a a, a, a leopard. And then it was indescribable, and it, the, the Roman beast was so horrific; there was nothing on earth to describe it. And it was devouring and tearing everything that it came, everything that came into its path. In chapter two, verse forty-three of Daniel, we, we know that the iron and the clay did not mix together; the toes did not mix together. On the horizon is a one-world government that will break down into ten ruling divisions, with ten kings ruling over these divisions. This is the iron and the clay of Daniel's statue that we saw in Daniel chapter 2, verse 43. They will be strong, but they will be weak also. They will not be able to mingle together. It's a setup for the Antichrist to come and usurp authority over these ten kingdoms. When he does, remember this, he comes in slowly. He ascends to power slowly. And then he makes his move. And seven of the kings will be in agreement with the Antichrist. Three of them will be in rebellion. Three of them will be subdued. There's an east-west division of nations at this time. In the future, there's going to be an eleventh one added. That's going to be the Antichrist, the usurper. He will be part of the, he's going to take over this ten-nation confederation. Three kings are rebelled. They're going to be removed or subdued. And there's going to be eight of these going into the future. But it's going to be a, a complete ten. The ones that are subdued are going to bow before the Antichrist at some point, but there will be a rebellion. So I want you to remember something. If you don't remember anything else, when Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to be the greatest deceiver that ever came on the planet Earth in a, in a human form. Now, so certainly he's, he's energized by Satan. He's a great deceiver. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, we, we were told that. We went through those verses last week. He will be intelligent, persuasive, a financial genius, a military genius, a diplomat. He will be the one that solves the Mideast problem. Remember, there's going to be a, a covenant that will be signed in Daniel chapter 9. And there will be finally peace in the Middle East. He'll break that covenant in the middle of the week at the three-and-a-half-year point. He'll be energized by Satan in second Thessalonians chapter two verses 9 and 10. I believe that's the point when he's in the middle of the tribulation when Satan is booted out of heaven that that is the time that Satan personally indwells the Antichrist and we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 9 and 10 the man of sin will be totally energized and controlled by the devil. The coming of the lawless one is apparent in the working of Satan who uses all powers, signs, and lying wonders and every kind of wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Remember, God is coming to every person. Say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm real. Come to me, come to me, come to me. The Antichrist is going to be have dominion over those who have refused the truth, who have refused Jesus Christ. Those who are living at this time will have eyes to see. I believe we're not going to be here then. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you're a mid-tribulation rapture, and you're right, and I'm wrong, then we're going to see this guy. Don't be confused by him. He is a deceiver. He's going to do all kinds of signs and wonders that are going to mesmerize humanity. Now, I want you to know this. The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit of apostasy from the true Christ. And we have a move today within Christendom of people fleeing the true Christ and running into these false views of what God expects of us. That is happening all around us, all around us. The final Antichrist is expected at the end of the age. The spirit of Antichrist, of apostasy, is departing from the truth is here today. And we have a warning from Jesus Christ. And Matthew 24, 23 says this, that Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ. Oh, he's over here. Look, here is Christ. Look, there is Christ. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. That's what Antichrist will do. Great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. He will even set himself up at the middle of the tribulation period and to be worshipped as God. That's called the abomination of desolation. Church, we are to know what is coming. We are not to be fooled by what's happening in the media. We are not to be fooled what's happening. What's being shoved down our throats is what is truth. Don't be fooled. Know the Word of God. Know the Word of God. And also know this, that divine judgment has been decreed. We are reading it today. Antichrist will be dealt with, judged by the ancient of days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. I thank you for your plan in the future, that you have orchestrated all of these things, and these things are occurring just as you said they would. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all occurred on schedule, and we expect the Ten Nation Confederation to follow on schedule with the usurper, the Antichrist, rising to power. Oh, Lord, help give us eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. May we not be mesmerized by what is going on around us, but may we be glued and focused on the Word of God, which teaches us the truth of what to expect. Help us, Lord, to learn from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a little introduction here. At this time, Daniel has his third and his fourth vision in these these verses that we just read. And one cannot help but be impressed by what Daniel sees. God and his awesome holiness on his throne. A courtroom scene. And the all-powerful judge of the universe is sitting on his throne. And he's rendering his verdict. And I will suggest to you there's no triviality in this courtroom. There will be no one jumping up and attacking the, the, the lawyers or what you see today in the chaos. And the, there will be none of that. And you know what else is going to be there? There will be no fake news coming out of that courtroom. There will be no one running into the streets giving any fake news whatsoever. Oh, no. What is happening here is absolute truth. The God of heaven is ruling, and he is reigning. You know what? It just struck me. A lot of times you'll talk to people, and they will say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did this happen? Why did this person die at this time? Why did I lose this at that time? Why, 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 why? And I'm I'm suggesting to you by this scene, when we get to heaven, there's none of that's going to be going on. God does not answer to us. You know, that's the truth. Now we see but a poor reflection in the mirror. Then we shall know face to face. We will know exactly and precisely that he rules and whatever he decides to do is right. And that's how it's going to come down. One called the Ancient of Days. We see that word used only in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, 14, and 22. No place else in Scripture is this used. The word is antica, and it means venerable. Now, when you think of God the Father, oftentimes people look at him as an old guy up there with a long beard, and he's kind of creeping around, ruling. That is not. He is venerable. He is righteous. He is a ruler, and he is eternal. He is Yahweh Jehovah. He is a self-existent, eternal one. Moses gave a psalm. He gave one of the psalms. It was Psalm 90, verse 2. And he gets kind of close to it. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In an instant, in a moment, we will know. Man overlooks the holiness of God. This scene is a scene of holiness, and we'll go through these more specifically in just a second. This is the holiness of God. This is the sovereignty of God. This is the omniscience, omnipotence of God right before our eyes. And man oftentimes overlooks this, the righteousness, the judgment, the holiness of God. And I believe Satan overlooked this. He presumed upon God when he had his rebellion in heaven and the third of the angels. He was very charismatic. He's going to be very, he's going to be very charismatic as he works through the Antichrist on earth here. Going to draw a lot of people, just like you drew a lot of the angelic realm who were in the presence of God, chose to go with Satan, but Satan overlooked something. See, never was there a rebellion in heaven. Never was there a time where they, where heaven had to see the wrath of God, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God, the power of God exerted on those who rebel against Him. Now Satan knows. Now Satan knows. Man overlooks this, presumes upon God. Man today has a God complex, thinks that God owes us an explanation. He does not owe us an explanation. The Satan thought that he was in charge. Antichrist is going to think that he's in charge. There's going to be, Antichrist going to have a partner. He's called the false prophet. We'll get more into him as we get in the book of Revelation. But he's, he thinks he's in charge, and I would suggest to you, sometimes we think we're in charge. We're in charge of our life. We're going to just rule our life. We're going to make all our decisions. We're going to go where I want, do what I want. No. No. God is orchestrating. He's positioning. He's putting people in place. God is in charge. The God of all creation rules. Now, we have a time here. where We're having a prophetic jump into the future, so to speak. Time advances to the future. And we're going to see Antichrist defeat. Jesus establishing his millennial kingdom. In chapter, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, we're going to see a throne. It's going to be the throne of God. Verses 9 and 10. I watched till the thrones were in place. Notice it's plural. Not a throne, but thrones are in place. More on that in just a second. And the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. And who in the world knows what these wheels and that are here? In Ezekiel, it mentions these wheels and what all that means. I'll give you my guess on it. When we get to heaven, we'll know. Okay, but well, we'll try to take a guess on it. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. This is an amazing scene. And thousands, thousands ministered to him. These are angels. And then 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the court was seated, and the books were open, and this is a fearful scene that we're seeing here, and I watched, I watched, that'll be next, I watched as the Antichrist is dealt with. The throne of God, the one who speaks these pompous words will be dealt with. It's a picture of a courtroom. The ancient of days is the judge. God is is presiding. Now I have a little picture here. A little picture here. This would be a... Now notice that no one knows what this is going to look like. This is all kind of blurred and hazed. But I want you to notice that this would be a picture of God. He rules. But I don't know who these guys are. Sitting in throne. Some people think they might be the 24 elders representing the church. Some people think these might be angels that, that are a part of the heavenly court. We just don't know. But it says thrones. And this, it, so it's something, something something. at least think about. Think about. No one really knows. The thrones were put in place. These are ruling positions. There's a heavenly court, evidently. God's garment is as white as snow. His hair is like wool. This speaks of his abject, pure holiness. We cannot understand that type of holiness. We can't even be in the presence of that type of holiness. If we were, we would be dead in, in the current state that we're in. We cannot be before this holy God in the state that we're in unless we're covered, covered by the blood of Jesus. Covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the only way it can happen. It's this abject holiness. We've lost that in our lives. We've lost this in our country. we lost this in our world. The holiness, the, the fear of God. It's a courtroom. The throne is a fiery flame. Speaking of righteous judgment, we see this in Ezekiel chapter 1, 26 through 2, 5. We see the wheels are burning fire, and I wonder, what are these wheels? There's all kinds of thoughts about it, but implies that the throne of God can go this way or that way. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, as fast as he wants. These wheels are just moving and turning. God is in charge. Thousands ministered to him. These are probably angels. Remember, when you see the word minister, you know what minister means? Servant. Servant. These angels are servants, and guess what? We are all ministers. You can put that thing right on your bumper sticker. Ministers. We are all servants of the Most High God. That's the one we worship. He's the one that's in charge. And then 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And this gets a little bit more cloudy here. Who are these people? Many commentaries think these are more angels that are standing before him, but I want to suggest something to you. The scene here is a courtroom. The scene here is a judge. Who stands before a judge? Those who are being charged stand before a judge. Could this be the tribulation people who rebelled against God and sided with the Antichrist? could it be cuz he's dealing with the antichrist in verse 11 the court was seated the judgment was made this is i believe this is an ominous scene and the books are opened now who knows what are these in these books but it's it is probably the history of your life these books are open it's also mentioned at the great white throne judgment the books are opened now who is judge well, the Antichrist will be judged. Satan's sidekick will be judged. And I believe those who, re, those who were deceived, those who believe the strong delusion sent by God, those who believe the lie that Antichrist is the Messiah, and those who worship the beast, we see in Revelation 13, 15, 17, those who were deceived and think that Antichrist is the Messiah. See, there's going to be a false Christ that comes on the scene and convince the world that he is the Christ. Demands to be worshipped in the Holy of Holies. It's the abomination of desolation spoken of in Matthew 24 in Revelation. We see a throng before the throne of God. Those who receive the mark of the beast, I believe these are the ones that are pictured before the throne of God. Those who All that means is they, they, are, they are claiming, they are demonstrating allegiance to Satan allegiance to the Antichrist. This is a false seal. See, when you believe that Jesus Christ was your Savior, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, sealed for ownership. You belong to God at that point. Now these people are now sealed, take the mark, and now they belong to Satan. They belong to the Antichrist. They belong to the kingdom of darkness. What an awful scene. What an awful scene. The stage is set. The wicked are being judged. The books are opened and they are going to be found wanting. The picture is painted loud and clear. It's judgment, folks. Verse 11 through 12, there's a scene shift from heaven to earth. The first to be judged is the Antichrist. I watched in because of the sound of the pompous words. Remember the pompous words in chapter 7, verse 8? He had eyes of a man, the mouth speaking pompous words, his arrogance, that the Antichrist will have, which the horn was speaking. He's the he's the antichrist. The horn is a is a is a king, is a, is a ruler. He's going to be the usurping ruler. I watched till the beast was slain. And I want you to catch something here. And its body destroyed. It doesn't say his body destroyed. See there's some people that postulate that the Antichrist is a Nephilim that he is of the seed of Satan and that he is a hybrid, part human and part angelic. Kind of an interesting thought. And we'll see this more in the book of Revelation when we see he receives a mortal head wound and is raised from the dead to mimic the resurrection of Christ. We will see more kind of indicating that could be what it is. Can't go too far with it, but it's just a thought. And its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. That's the lake of fire. As for the rest of the beasts, it's talking about those kingdoms in succession. They had their dominion taken away, each once in sequence. Babylon fell to Persia, Persia to Greece, Greece to Rome, in sequence. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a short time. Let's develop this. Now, the beast was slain. Remember, he's going to have a short but monstrous rule. A short but monstrous rule. The false prophet will be with him. Now remember, God said this will happen. This person will come to his end. His pompous words, his arrogance will come to an end. But it won't be him alone. It will also be the false prophet. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. Now the picture is Jesus Christ coming back. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. He comes on a white horse. You know, we see this white horse all the time. This white horse is just a picture of a conquering king, a conquering king that comes back. And he is the one that has, has written on his side, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes and he has a specific purpose. He's taking back earth. We're going to see that in the next couple of verses, in, chapter, in verses 13 to 14. But I want you to focus on verse 19. And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth... Who would that be? Those ten nation confederations on the earth. And their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. In his hubris, in his arrogance, Antichrist and the people that follow him believe that they can fight against Jesus Christ, the true Christ, and thwart his coming back. But watch what happens here. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in the presence by which he he deceived, he's a deceiver, those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Notice it tells you the the destination of the Antichrist and the false prophet, immediately into Lake of Fire forever. Immediately. These next group, the followers, are killed, but there's no indication about where they go. We'll develop that more in just a second. So, the final destination of the beast and his sidekick is the Lake of Fire, that is their permanent abode. Permanent abode. Now, Satan has a temporary abode, and that is going to be in a pit, or the abuso. We picked that up in chapter 20, verse 1 and 2 of Revelation. If you're there, read along with me. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abuso. And a great chain in his hand. And by the way, the pit is where the Antichrist goes when he has his mortal head wound and is raised from. Who goes down to the pit? Demonic angels, those in rebellion against God. Just another tip off to who he might be. He laid hold of the dragon. One messenger angel takes the anointed cherub of heaven, the most powerful being ever created. One messenger angel who has the authority of God binds him, throws him in for a thousand years into the bottomless pit, shuts him up, sets a seal on him, and then Satan is released for a short time at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign to deceive the nations. So let's think about this for just a second. Satan is released. He deceives the nations. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he is dealt with, and he, is, he then is thrown into the lake of fire cast in the lake of fire brimstone and the beast and the false prophet are still there a thousand years later and they are to be tormented forever and ever and ever you know some people say hell is not that big a deal jesus said whatever you do cut off your hand pluck your eye out do anything that you do not go there it is so do not go there Do whatever you can do not to go there. That's that's what he says. It's going to be awful. And also notice that there's not annihilation. At least there's a thousand years these people are there. And then Satan joins them. So when God says it's forever and ever, it's forever and ever. It is very serious when people are living their life here that they make a decision and say, I will follow Jesus. I will bow bow before him now. So, Satan's temporary abode, he's thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years, and then he joins the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, what about those who were deceived? Where did they go? They didn't go into the lake of fire. You know where they went? The temporary abode for them is called Sheol in the Hebrew, or Hades in the Greek. In Luke chapter 16, it is called Torment. For those outside of Jesus Christ, because we believe that the instant that we pass, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to tell you what that is in just a second, that we're in the presence of God, in the presence of God, what a hope we have, the presence of God. But those who are outside of Christ who says, I will not let G- you rule over me, Jesus. I will run my life my way. They will be separated for a temporary. Their temporary abode is torment. What an awful place. What an awful thing to have to experience. That's that's their temporary abode. But what happens to them at the end of a thousand years is the great white throne judgment. We see that in Revelation chapter 20. And in Revelation chapter 20, at the great white throne judgment, there's a resurrection. Some people term this the second resurrection. All of those who are outside of Christ appear before the great white throne, and they are judged by what is written when the books are opened. And those who are not written in the most important book, the book of life, ends up in the lake of fire forever. What a tragedy that need not have been. That need not have been. Listen to this. Please hear this. Remember what God has done for humanity. He's done everything for humanity. Remember, he gave his only begotten son the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He gave his only begotten Son. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, whosoever, pass, every and all, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God did for us. Also, he's given us his Holy Spirit in John 16.8, who convicts every human being of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm real. Come to me. That is the message. Then we know that the Father draws in John six forty four, And Jesus said, if I am lifted up in John 12, I will draw all men to myself. We have the whole triunity of God drawing humanity to them, to himself, drawing humanity to himself. People oftentimes have this argument. You may have heard this. How can a loving God send someone to hell? And the response that I hope you have is God has done everything he can possibly do to rescue people from hell. And when people make that awful, awful, awful choice to say no to Jesus and to rule their own lives, the tragedy, that is their decision, that God will not force them to be with him. How tragic, how tragic. The final abode of the lost rejectors of Christ is the lake of fire. No believer, no overcomer will be at the great white throne judgment. Can you just say hip, hip, array? I mean, thank you for that. They spend eternity forever with Jesus. And I'll tell you, this is our blessed hope. We are not those like those who have no hope. We have a blessed hope. We do. We do. Verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14. Jesus, Messiah, receives his kingdom. Receives his kingdom. I was watching in the night vision, this is the fourth vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, oh, that's Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, that would be the Father, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Remember, it's the last kingdom that will ever be established. No more Gentile kingdoms. No more earth rulers. Our Jesus will reign, which shall not pass away in his kingdom. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. This is Daniel's fourth vision, but you remember Nebuchadnezzar's vision in Daniel 2.45? Let me read this to you. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain. Now, if you've been here for the teaching, you know that the stone cut out of the mountain is Jesus Christ. And he's going to come and he's going to crush the statue. All the Gentile empires are going to come crushing down. I had a picture of that. Remember, in in the past teaching, the stone comes down and hits the the statue. That it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, that's that's the statue. And the great God is made known to the king, What will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. In verse 13 of Dan, of our chapter today, 7.13, we read this. One like the Son of Man is coming in the clouds of heaven. The Son of Man is a title for Jesus as he relates to mankind, as he relates to humanity. In Mark chapter 14, verse 60, we read these words. Now, this, the picture here is at the trial of Jesus. They tried to bring up accusations against him. They get these false witnesses. And they can't even agree. Now watch what happens in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst, and he asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What if these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Isaiah 53, 7 said he stood silent before his his accusers. See, Jesus didn't have to answer anything legally until it became a question specifically to him, which happens next. And again the high priest asked him, saying to him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. Has a lot more meaning just saying I am. And you will see the Son of Man. That's the word, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the power, coming with the clouds of heaven. That's how he comes back. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Jesus was saying, he is God, sits on the throne of God. He's being criticized for that, killed for that. Then some began to spit on him and blindfold him and beat him and say to him, prophesy. The officers struck him with the palms of their hands. The Son of Man, Jesus, is relating to us. Folks, listen to this. Jesus will return the same way he left. In Acts chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11, we see these words. Now, it is just after Jesus said, he's he's, he's told his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the earth. And then in verse 9, something absolutely astounding happens. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, his disciples watched, he was taken up. That means to rise up. A cloud received him out of their sight. The Shekinah glory, I believe that's the glory of God. Remember in the Old Testament, it was a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. This is the glory of God taking him up. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, these guys are watching this thing. That's what they're seeing. It's a slow ascent. Behold, two men stood by them, angels in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? You've got a mission. You've just been told you're going to have the Holy Spirit. You have something to do. This same Jesus who was taken up, risen up right before your eyes into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. Let that be indelibly imprinted on your mind. As Jesus went up, that's how he will come back. I'm emphasizing this for a reason. The second coming of Christ is visible. It is slow. He he descends slowly. Revelation 1.7 says this, Every eye will see him. I don't know how that all works. Sometimes people say it'll be on CNN. Well, believe me, there's there's, there's little places in New Zealand and Australia and in Africa, there's no CNN. Somehow, this whole world is going to be in such a way that when he comes back, everybody's going to see him. It's slow, it's steady, just like he left. Even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why are they mourning? Because Jesus is coming to put down Antichrist war that he has has perpetrated on the earth and those who have joined him. Now contrast that with the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. If you would, while I'm talking about this, turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.16. You're very familiar with this. It's the rapture verse. Caught up, snatched away. And when I use the term, we're out of here, that is the rapture. We're caught up, snatched away in an instant. Keep that in mind. So the rapture is fast. The second coming is slow. The rapture is fast. We see how fast it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. You know what a twinkling of an eye is? Some of you have been in the Revelation study several years ago. You know it's one-sixth-billionth of a second. It is the time that it takes for light to come into your eye, go to your back of your brain, be registered as an image, and you see. That quick. Instantly. Instantly. one 1000000000th of a second. Now, in first, that, that is fast. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, read with me. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, note these words, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. So who's doing the shouting? The archangel. And with the trumpet of God, I don't know who's blowing the trumpet, but he's going to be a loud trumpeter. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's our word. Arpazo, hapezo, Caught up in an instant. Snatched away in an instant together with them, in the, orus we get caught up into the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he says these words, comfort one another with these words. That's very important, because those who are taken out will not experience the Antichrist. Those who are taken out will not experience the wrath of God when it's poured out on this earth in, this, in the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. That's a huge thing to escape. That's a big thing to think about. So, in a moment, in an instant, in a twinkling of an eye, he will come back. He will take us from here. The rapture, we ascend to him. It's fast. And guess where he takes us? John 14, 2 and 3 tell us exactly. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come for you, and I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where is he at? He's in Father's house. When he comes back the second time, he's coming back to earth. That's not Father's house. (laughs) Okay, he's in Father's house. When we die, we go to Father's house in an instant. The reason I'm emphasizing this is because a lot of people deny the rapture, belittle the rapture of the church, and I think that there's a lot of evidence for it. A lot of evidence for it. The second coming, Jesus comes to earth, it's slow and steady, and all see him. And I want you to think about something. This is a question for you. Did Jesus ascend to heaven with a shout? No, he didn't. Was there a voice of an archangel? No. Was there a trumpet of God? No. In Acts 1.9, Jesus ascended slowly. In Revelation 1.7, he returns slowly. Every eye sees him. At the rapture, Jesus receives the church. The church will have no wrath on it. When God pours out his wrath in the tribulation period, we will not be part of that. We will not be part of that. At the second coming, Jesus rescues Israel and establishes his kingdom on earth. These are very important concepts. Now, if you would... Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. This might be worth your trouble. Revelation chapter 5. Now, if you've done a study in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 2, and 3 talk about the church. There are seven churches. They all have different things that that they're known for. Chapter 4 and 5 is a picture of the throne of God. And in chapter 5, we have an interesting thing that is going on here. So, now remember where we've been. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, he said, "He came to the ancient of days, Jesus comes to the ancient of days, and he's brought before the throne of God." Well what is he doing before the ancient of days? This is going to tell us. Watch this. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Now who's sitting on the throne, the ancient of days. Written inside and on back. And we know from Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, that when it's written on the back and the front is a deed. And and it also means judgment. This is a deed of judgment. He's taking back earth, but also there's judgment associated with it. So it's a scroll written inside and back, sealed with seven seals. Now, I have a little picture here for you. This is a seven-sealed scroll. A lot of people look at the scroll as like a toilet paper roll. That is not what it is. It opens like this. It's sealed with seven seals. As each seal is broken, Jesus is breaking each one of these seals. And in chapters 6 through 19, he's telling us what is contained in the scroll, how he's taking back planet Earth. Okay? That is what the scroll is. He breaks a seal. Explains what's going on. Second seal. Explains what's going on. And so on. So, with that picture in mind, continue with me. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Seems like angels like to be loud, don't they? They're loud. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. No created being could do this. It had to be supernatural. So what does John do? John gets it. John gets it. He knows. He knows the word. He knows what this scroll is. He knows what it's written on back and front. He knows that this is desperate. So I wept much because no one was found worthy and and, and read the scroll or to look at or read the scroll and look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Who is that? Jesus, say it loud, okay. Jesus, that's who it is, that's Jesus, no question, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. How did he prevail? He died on the cross for humanity. He purchased us back. He paid the purchase price with his life. So now he is the one that can redeem earth. He's our kinsman redeemer. He's our kinsman avenger. If you do the study in Ruth, you'll know all about that kinsman stuff. Pick it up in verse 7. Then he that'd be Jesus, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, out of the Ancient of Days hand. Now, look, at nobody's going to go up to the throne and say, hey, I want that scroll. I think that's a real cool-looking scroll. No angel's going to do that. No no created being's going to do that. One of the same kind will do that. God will do that. Takes the throne out. Jesus is God. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and if you do the study on this, these are seraphim in chapter 4, verse 6, and these are, are before the throne of God, worshiping. The four living creatures and the 24 elders, which I believe is the church, picture of the church, fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. Now, we see in Revelation chapter 6, 9, And in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, the prayers of the saints going up to God. Your prayers are heard by God. They are gathered together. He hears them. And notice what it says. They sang this song. Notice what they say. You are worthy to take the scroll, Jesus. You are worthy to open its seals. For you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God. You have redeemed us. Who did he redeem? Humans, not angels humans, not angels, by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, out of everybody on earth, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So what are we going to do? We're going to reign with Jesus. We are inheritors of what Jesus has. So, the picture, the throne of heaven, a scroll, the seal judgments, Everything is going to be revealed through this scroll of what's going to happen in the future. I want you to think about something. We talked about Jesus coming, establishing his kingdom, and his kingdom will be without end. Do you know when that was first said? That came to Mary in, in Luke chapter 1. Watch what Gabriel says to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. You know what Jesus means? The Lord is salvation. The Messiah is coming. You are carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's going to have a kingdom. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. That's Handel's Messiah, isn't it? Never-ending, never-ending kingdom. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 is a throne picture. Jesus receives his kingdom. And when he comes back to earth, we will come back with him. And we will be given positions of authority and positions of ruling dependent upon how faithful we were to him while we were here. How important it is that we serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your position or whatever you're going to be doing in the millennial reign will be very much predicated on how faithful you were to your service of the Master while you were here. It is exceedingly important. I can't express it enough. So, conclusion, judge by the ancient of days. Daniel Daniel has a vision of the throne of God. The scene is a courtroom. Those judge are presented. To God. And I have another little picture here of trying to give you some idea of this. All of these people, this light, this resplendent light would be God. And all of these people standing before God to be judged. Remember, all of humanity will be judged. Those who are lost will stand before God, will stand before Jesus Christ, actually, at the great white throne judgment. Now, can you imagine what these people are feeling at this point? Oh, I chose to follow the wrong one. I really wish I would have taken the other path. I really wish I would have liked Pilgrim's Progress, been going towards the celestial city, towards the light. I did it my way. No one will rule over me. I'm a good person. God will take me into his heaven because I'm better than that guy. No, no, it's all about the blood of Jesus. That is a very stark scene. The first to be judged will be the Antichrist, his reign will end abruptly. All of those who side with the Antichrist will be judged. The deception that Satan uses through the Antichrist is so convincing. Hear this. The majority of earth will fall for this deception. Will fall for this deception. And I want to tell you something. Jesus knew the difficulty that humanity will have in coming into the family coming to the kingdom taking the right choice he said this in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 and 14 remember Jesus is always saying that he will have a remnant there will always be a remnant of true followers a small number that will really follow Jesus Christ he says this enter by the narrow gate now every Jew would know exactly what he's talking about here because they have gates or pens uh, for for the sheep remember he says in John 10-9, I am the door. And anyone enters by me, you have life. Enter by me. There's a narrow gate. There's a narrow way. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Coexist. Many go in by it. Many seek their own way. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The few who find it are those who say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I receive the gift of salvation. I will follow you. I will bow for you now. Either bow now or bow later. There's no no question that every knee will bow. We know that in Philippians. This is is an amazing picture. Antichrist will have his reign, and Jesus will unleash his judgments. Directed at the Antichrist and his followers in chapter 6 through 19 of Revelation. You'll see it if you stay here long enough in who knows how long, but we'll get to it. (laughs) Antichrist will wreak havoc on earth. And I'll tell you, through an amazing supernatural move of God, even in this environment of absolute worst time on the planet earth, worse than the Holocaust, worse than any Inquisition, worse than anything, God will do a miracle. He will use 144,000 Jewish evangelists we see in Revelation chapter 7, verses 5 through 8. He'll have two witnesses at the wall, at the temple that we build up, and he'll have two witnesses standing there proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Don't follow the Antichrist. They are going to be a thorn in Antichrist's side. And then you have three angels in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 13. I can't believe this. The angels running around, floating around, screaming to humanity, don't take the mark of the beast, don't follow him. Can you imagine the supernatural stuff that's going on? But yet people, the majority, will follow the Antichrist. But there's still going to be, God's going to have a harvest. Watch this. Chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and verse 13 and 14, there's going to be a multitude which no one could number, that will be saved out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, And John is confused about this number. And in verse 13, this question comes up. Then one of the elders answered and said to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Who are all these people from every tribe, tongue, and nation? Where did they come from? And I said to them, Sir, you know, I don't know. So he said to me, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation, washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are the martyrs that gave their lives and said, I will follow Jesus. I don't care what you do to me. Much like the church in Iran today, watch Joel Richardson's video on this. It's very moving. Who said, I don't care if I go to prison. I don't care if they take my life. I." We will follow Jesus. And there are many, many Muslims that are converting to Christianity. Huge revival is going on in Iran. It's a move of God. That's minuscule compared to this throughout the world. God is gracious. God is merciful. In the midst of the awfulness, he's saving many, many, and they'll give their lives for the faith. Our day, folks, the time you're living in right now, look around what's going on. Globalism. Take the borders down. When you talk about climate change, notice that they don't say global warming anymore. They talk about climate change. Because if global warming were right, in 1990, there was a prediction that all the ice caps are melting, and there's no longer going to be a California, and there's no longer going to be a New Jersey, and, and that little peninsula that we call Florida that everybody goes on sabbatical to in the winter, that's gone, that's gone. Well, Florida's there, New Jersey's there, California's there, and here we are 30 years later. So now it's climate change. And it has a specific goal. It is to unite the world as one. Unite the world as one. Open the borders. We are all one people. We have to join together to save planet Earth. By the way, when you go to the restaurant now, you see how people are reticent to give you a straw? Oh, that's polluting the Earth. A straw. A straw. And people are buying into it, and the young people are going crazy about it because they bought into the indoctrination. They bought into the indoctrination. They're hearing it in school. They're hearing it in, in, in middle school. They're hearing it in high school. They're hearing it in colleges. They're hearing it from their friends. The world's ending. The world's ending. It'll end when Jesus decides it's going to end. This whole thing will change when he... It's not up to humanity. We are not saving the planet. My goodness. So our day is a prelude to what is coming. A world that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. False religions abound. Coexist is the, is the word of the day. Isaiah 5.20 says this, Woe, woe to those who call good evil evil good, put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitterness. He's talking to the nation of Israel at this time, who chose to follow false gods and false idols. They feigned worship to God. We're going to worship you, God, but we're really going to worship our idols. It's happening all over the West, all over the West. But their true allegiance was to their idols. This is a, mo- this is a warning to America. This is a warning to the Western Compromised Church. In Ezekiel 18.23, just blast out towards us. Turn and live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should perish? Turn and live. That's the heart of God. And remember this, the ancients of days sees everything. So many people think that they're, they're getting away with something because we're doing it at night. They can't see us. Oh, nothing, Hebrews 4.13, nothing is hidden from God's sight. All things are uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. In a nation running from God, there's some facts to really think about. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's a fact. He lived a sinless life, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. He was dead, buried, and he rose again from the dead. Folks, that's a fact. That's a fact. And he is a victor over sin and death. That's a fact. And everyone who believes in him, it's just simple believing, putting your trust in, committing yourself to him. You will be saved. That's a fact. And also, all who reject God's Son, all who say, I'll take my chances. I'm a good person. I'll take my chances. Or or they just come out and say, I'm going to just do it my way. The Bible says they are lost and their destiny is forever separated from God in what we classically know as hell. Nothing, nothing, nothing could be sadder. Nothing. Talk about the great deception. It is here today. The court is set. The thrones are in place. The books are opened. All judgment is given to the Son. We see that in John 5.22. Judgment of all lost humanity by the ancients of days is sure. This is a fact. No believer will be judged for their sins that took place at the cross. That's a fact. Another fact is this. Jesus took our sins upon himself. He died in your place. There will be no judgment for your sins. And that's almost like a hip-hipper. That's another one of those amen. I need an amen. Amen. That's an amen time. Yes. We're going to have a beam seat judgment. We're judged for our works. But there's no condemnation, folks, for those who are in Christ Jesus. God looks at us just like he looks at his son. What a gift. What a gift. The ball is in your court, saved by the blood of Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world are judged by the Ancient of Days and found wanting. Revelation 22.17 is the last invitation in the Bible. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who thirst say, Come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Joshua put it this way in Joshua 24.15. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Saved by the Lamb of God or judged by the Ancient of Days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us again to study your word. Lord, I don't know where anybody is in this room, how this touched them and spoke to them in some way, but I know that you have promised that your word would not return void, that you'll accomplish what you desire for it to accomplish in each heart. So each one of us have heard something from you specifically for us. And now it is up to us to heed what you've spoken to us. So Lord, right now I ask that you do your work in each one of our hearts, in that area that you spoke to us in, and may we take action and change our course. May we hear you loud and clear. May we be obedient followers of the Master. Holy Spirit, do your work right now in the hearts and minds of people. In Jesus' name, amen.